the um, I think the the experience of pretty much everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus is that we have um, expectations that what what will happen to us as a result of of deciding to uh, trust Jesus with our lives we have we have some idea that um, Jesus will will give us certain things in return for our um, discipleship. And um, I think probably at a minimum, everybody figures, well, all right, I'm going to get eternal life. I'm going to get um, uh, 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 everlasting life uh, after death, um, and it will be the good kind of everlasting life, not the bad kind, eternal joy and not eternal sorrow and despair. I think that's kind of a minimum expectation everyone has, and it's a good expectation. It's it's a promise, actually, that, that Jesus gives us, so it's not a bad expectation. Um, but we have other expectations. A lot of us have expectations about our life this side of of eternity, um, and and so we we maybe think we've got um, some difficult people that we would we would like God's help dealing with, or maybe um, maybe the difficult person is ourself, and we think that uh, God should should take care of something that that we have a problem with, maybe um, that it's a, a bad habit or an addiction, um, it's some behavior we're not proud of, and we think God um, should should be working on that. We we have expectations about that. Maybe maybe we have a, a bigger expectations. We think that God should do something about our finances or about some of our relationships, you know, our parenting or or our parents. Um, that God should should uh, work on these things. We have these expectations, and sometimes we can be disappointed, or we at least have to struggle with with how should I feel if Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. You know, I've been your disciple, but I was kind of expecting this would happen, and it didn't happen. And um, so we have to deal with that. And uh, uh, pastors, pastors are just people in this regard because we have we have exactly the same problems. We we have those same expectations that if I do this, then then Jesus kind of owes me something in return. But we have more because I mean I'm working for Him, right? I'm I'm working in ordained ministry, and so He owes me more things that 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 I'm expecting a certain kind of church. I'm expecting a certain size of church. I'm expecting a certain number of people in a church. I'm, I'm expecting God to do things in you, right? Because that reflects on me. And, and, um, I'm exp- I have a lot of expectations. I think ministers, um, have even more expectations of God than, uh, uh, any randomly selected, uh, Christian. So we bring all these expectations to the table. And it's interesting to me how little we think about Jesus' expectations for us. That it's so easy to think about the things that, that I'm expecting God to do in my life, but it's very easy not to think about the things that Jesus, um, uh, might be doing for us. And, um, the, the, the good news in, in this is that, is that in this regard, I think we're very much like Jesus' first century followers. That they were thinking mainly about what was, what was Jesus capable of doing for them instead of what Jesus was going to expect of them. And the reason I think that is because Jesus talks so much to them about his expectations, which makes it embarrassing how easy it is for us to, to miss it because it's all through the New Testament. And in this passage in particular, I think Jesus has, has, um, he really wants to make sure his disciples are paying attention because he uses crude language to get their attention. And I don't know if you picked up on it, but Jesus said a naughty word. Jesus said a word that polite company, you know, wasn't welcome in polite company. Jesus, talks about the cross. This is the first place in, in um, Matthew's biography of Jesus where, uh, where Jesus actually talks about uh, crucifixion. 
he says, um, he says that uh, the Son of Man. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, he, uh, he says, he says, you must pick up your cross. Um, and that was just something you didn't do. It wasn't something polite people did. You know, the rabble, the riffraff, they went out, out of the town, you know, and they would go watch the crucifixions. They had low taste, you know. Some of them even went to gladiatorial games, right? So just terrible people had something to do with the cross. But, but good people had nothing to do with the cross. And in fact, Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, when we preach that Christ was crucified, everybody checks out. He says the Jews say it's uh, they're offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Paul says that the one thing that unites Jews and Gentiles is that they all agree that a God or the God would have nothing to do with crucifixion. Crucifixion is a terrible thing. And so when Jesus suddenly drops the C-bomb in the middle of this conversation, he's waking up his, his disciples. He's saying, hey... This is something you guys need to be paying attention to. This is something um, you need to understand what to expect. So he says to his disciples, um, he's 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 going to say it in more detail in chapter 16. Um, he says, uh, he will say then, um, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So Jesus is going to lay out the whole program. He's going to talk about how it affects him, how he's going to be betrayed. He's going to suffer at the hands of men. He's going to be crucified and he's going to be raised um, uh, on the third day. So Jesus lays out his whole program. And when he does, Peter says, I forbid it. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're, you're setting your hearts in the things of men, not of God. So Jesus is saying, uh, in, in chapter 16, he's including himself in the picture. But here in chapter 10, he doesn't talk about himself. He simply says, this is something you disciples need to be thinking about. You need to be thinking about carrying your own cross. Um, and um, so uh, this this passage in today's today's reading um, immediately follows on one where he's talked about persecution. And what we saw last week, if you weren't here, you can listen online. But what we saw last week is Jesus said the disciples will be persecuted, but he said you don't have to seek it out. He said you could be as shrewd as as uh, snakes and as innocent as doves that you don't have to seek out persecution. I heard a talk by the pastor of this church. It's Calvary Temple in Hyderabad, India. It's in an area that's predominantly Muslim and Hindu, and it is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. It uh, it started in 2005, and um, and it's about 300,000 people every weekend now. So we got a year head start on me. So we're going to really have to we're going to have to really grow next year. For me to keep up with uh, Dr. Satish Gamar, but he was talking about he was talking about his church, and he was saying he was saying that uh, they they picked that name to avoid fights because somebody who's kind of learning about Jesus and exploring what it would mean to be a Jesus follower, they can just tell their family, "Hey, I'm going to the temple," and the family would think, you know, some Hindu temple or something, and they'd say, "Well, fine." And so he said he said that this avoids fights while people are still exploring their faith. But he went on to say, of course, they don't stop there. They, they can't simply hide behind a label forever. Eventually, they, they must, they must um, out themselves to their families as Christians. So, so we can be shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves, but Jesus says in our reading today, he says in verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Um, he says, he says, um, anyone, uh, 
everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus says, I'm looking for, I'm expecting from you public acknowledgement of me as your your uh, Lord, your Lord and your Savior. So Jesus says, I expect that. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're in trouble with Jesus if you don't put a fish on your car? You know, if you don't have a cross around your neck, something like that? Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think so. Back in chapter 6, Jesus said um, to avoid uh, religiosity. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. He says, he says, if you put on a show for other people, then you get your reward from the other people, whatever, whatever reward they will give you. He says, he says that it's not about the show, it's about the acknowledgement. So he's saying, he's saying that ultimately we have to, we have to acknowledge who is the Lord of our lives, so it's Jesus. And, it, it may entail a, a fish on your car. It may entail a cross around your neck. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, we know from the gospel, from the gospel accounts, that the preeminent, the preeminent way to acknowledge Jesus is the Lord of our lives is through baptism. So acknowledging Jesus begins with baptism. If you have been baptized, then it will color everything else you do as a disciple for the rest of your life. That baptism is something that changes um how how we see what God is doing in us and through us. So if you have been baptized, then it will color your life. And if you haven't, then you should ask yourself, why not? Because this is the preeminent way, according to the New Testament, to acknowledge uh, Jesus in our lives. It is the first of, of perhaps a long journey, but it is the preeminent way we do it. I think in our culture, at least, the reason people don't do things that they know Jesus wants them to do, isn't because of a fear of persecution. I think in this culture, it's mainly complacency. It's like, I'm going to get around to that real soon now, and they just never do. So I would encourage you, take this opportunity to reflect on why you haven't been baptized if you haven't. So Jesus says um, to acknowledge me before before people. Now, if you imagine, I don't know what would happen in your family if you go, if you were just getting baptized for the first time, um, for, wait, let me rephrase that. There's a whole, th- I just stepped on a theological landmine. Um, so, uh, so, um, if you were being baptized and had not previously been a part of a church circum- church environment, so no one knew you were a Christian and suddenly you come out by getting baptized. So, um, what would that what would that look like in your life? Maybe that wouldn't cause you any trouble. But on the other hand, we can imagine people who go to Hydra, uh, the, the the Calvary Temple in Hyderabad, India. Maybe it does cause them trouble in their family. Maybe their family says, "Wait a minute, you know, for for umpteen generations we've been good Hindus or we've been good Muslims. What is this Jesus stuff?" And and so we can imagine in some families it would cause trouble. And Jesus says, "You bet." He says, "Don't imagine that I came." To bring peace to the earth, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. That Jesus didn't come, despite what those televangelists will say, Jesus didn't come so you could have a cushy life, he, you know, so that the pastor could have a Gulf Stream. Jesus did not promise any of that stuff. He said, I came not to bring peace, not to bring a cozy existence, but to bring a sword. What does he mean by sword? Um, uh, probably a, a lot of us think of sword as a weapon we use against other people, but Jesus is probably not using it in that light. We see this throughout the, the rest of the New Testament. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It's something that cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So I think maybe we might today say a scalpel. 
It's something that's used to 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 cut the disease away and and save the the good part of the body. Jesus is saying, "I came to bring surgery." And he goes on. He says, "I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, um, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law." I don't know how hard that last one is. Um, probably doesn't take a lot of work, but um, but. Uh, your enemies will be right in your own household. Jesus is quoting from the prophet Micah, and he says, he says that uh, people in your own circle, even your innermost circle, will will find reasons to object if you if you out yourself, if you if you acknowledge me as um, as uh, the Lord of your life, then you will you will have trouble from as close as your family. And he goes on to say, if you love your father or mother more than you love me. You're not worthy of being mine. Um, if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Now, again, this is a place where if we read this too quickly, we may miss what he's saying. He's not saying love him instead of other people. He's saying love him more than other people. We know this as recently as chapter 5 of this same biography. Jesus tells people, he says, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. He says, even your enemies. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is for that? Is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Go on loving people who love you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's expected. It's normal. It's what you should do. But if you're only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus says that the, the problem isn't that you're, you're loving one person instead of another. He says you need to love him more while you love other people as well. So Jesus is saying that, um, that, uh, that we need to, um, we need to love him at the highest level compared to anything else. And I, I don't want to ignore what he says about, about families. Um, I don't know I don't know what that would have, you know, in that hypothetical, if you, if you told your family that you're a Christian, hopefully most of you would say, they would say, yes, I've heard. Um, but, um, but if you, if you picture that circumstance, if, if somebody who, who doesn't know you, they find out you're a Christian, um, is that going to be a problem? And, and my guess is, is again, in our culture, it may not be much of a problem, um, and certainly not in, in our family. Um, and, and Jesus is talking, when, when he talks about a family, you know, if you think of if you think of first century Palestine, Judea, the 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 family was paramount. When when somebody introduced you, introduced themselves to you, they wouldn't say, "My name is Simon the fisherman." They would say, "I'm Simon Bar Jonah. I'm Simon the son of Jonah." Everything was conditioned and related to where you were in the family structure. You might be the, the, the head of the family or you might be, you know, waiting for your turn to be the head of the family. You might be a, a junior brother. Everything was tied around where you were in the family. And so people took a lot of their identity from the fact that, that, you know, I've got my brothers and sisters. And then at the next le- level out from that, I've got cousins. And then I've got more distant relationships. And then I've got people who live in the same town. And then I've got strangers. The Jesus is saying that, that he's talking about the very innermost circle. He's saying that he needs to be the one in the innermost circle. And then those other relationships are, 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 are properly configured if he is in the center. Like, like, um, like, uh, 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 spokes on a wheel. If the center is in the right place, then the spokes will all work. So Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying that he needs to be at the center. 
And if he's not at the center, then then something else that shouldn't be is in a place where it can't bear the load that it needs to to bear. So Jesus is saying that that um, not so much he's not. I mean, he is talking about family, but he's talking about people. He's talking about family in a culture where family was super critical. And so I would ask you again, if that's if there are people in your life in your family who compete with Jesus for your allegiance, then this is a word for you. But I think for a lot of us, you know. You know, Uncle Milton really doesn't carry that much weight in my life. So I might ask, what does? You know, for a lot of people, it's a political party. Or it's their their favorite sports team. I have a friend who is, honestly, he's why they say sports fan. You know, it's short for fanatic. He is He is a fanatic about the Green Bay Packers. And he will not let anybody, in all seriousness, he will not let anybody say anything bad about them. He's, he's kind of, we just avoid football in his, ta- in his area. And I would say he is, he has got something way too close to the center there. But, but what is it? Is it, is it your political party? Is it, is it your sex? Is it the school you went to? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your profession? What is it that competes with Jesus? Jesus says they have to lose and he has to win that competition, that he needs to be at the center of our affection. So, so number two, all other allegiances are centered on Jesus. When he says, when he says, you must love me more than the others, um, he's not talking, remember, about some happy feeling, a warm fuzzy you get. He's talking about an action, and he says it's going to be costly. He says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. He's talking, this is the, 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 the naughty word Jesus just used. He said, if you take, refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And, um, he's, he's going to repeat this in chapter 16, uh, he, where he will say, you know, we, we mentioned this before. He will say, if anybody wants to be a follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? It's, is anything worse more than your soul? Jesus says that that it will cost you. It will cost you to be my disciple. It may cost you your family. It may cost you your job. That that he may be talking, as we saw last week, he may be talking about actual martyrdom. It may cost you your life. Or it may cost you your job. It may cost you your livelihood. It may cause a social media frenzy. You may be, you may be mobbed by a Twitter mob. There may be people who dox you and, and call up your boss and try to get you fired. Jesus says, this may happen. You may be martyred. But it will definitely cost you. If you aren't, if you don't lose your life, you definitely need to die to yourself. Alexander Solzhenitsyn says this, in the Gulag Archipelago, he says, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through the human heart and through all human hearts. He says that, um, and so, so when you think of Jesus' sword metaphor, maybe that's what he's talking about. He's talking about cutting away the parts of us that need to die, the parts that expect that, that easy life, the Savior who comes to bring us a, a peaceful existence. Maybe that's what we need to die to. And so the, uh, the third, third point, rarely is Jesus following, uh, is following Jesus the easy thing. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm tempted to say never, but, but, but at a, at a very minimum, you should ask yourself, is this too easy? You know, I, I should have a conversation with that person, 
but I'm not going to. And you should ask yourself, is it because, did you make that decision because it was easy or because it was the right thing to do? And so a good rule of thumb is if it's easy, if it's not causing any trouble, if you aren't making any waves, then you should ask yourself, maybe that's not the right thing for Jesus to do because he warned me that this was going to cost me something. He talked about, he talked about, um, uh, uh, gaining the world and losing your soul. He does talk about rewards. In chapter 19, he'll say, everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will re- inherit eternal life. So Jesus says there's rewards both in this life and the life to come. There will be plenty of rewards for his, his followers, but he doesn't want to talk about them now. Again, his focus is on us as disciples. And so he says this, He says, anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. He says, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet, and if you receive a righteous person, uh, righteous people because of their righteousness, you'll be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to the least of my followers, you'll surely be rewarded. Jesus says to us about people out there and what they might do for us. He says, he says, they will get a reward. And I think that's fascinating. Jesus is talking to people. He just said, this could be very difficult. This could be very hard. You may find discipleship does not meet your expectations. And people out there are going to get a reward. And I think that, that is, is something that invites us to say, but what about me? You know, where's my reward? And Jesus doesn't answer that. He says, he says, you may be the source of a reward for other people. And he references this story, um, uh, famous in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, of the story of Elijah. Elijah goes to a town of Zarephath. There's a f- terrible famine going on. There's not been any rain or whatever it was. Uh, people are starving. And he arrives at the gates of the village and he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup, a little water in a cup? And they have a little interaction and then she does what he asks. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. She had she had an olive oil jar and she had a flour jar in her house, and they never ran out. She didn't get a warehouse full of flour. She got a jar that never ran out. And Jesus is saying, there will be rewards that accompany treating prophets um, uh, as my emissaries. That if you treat a prophet, if you treat a righteous person, if you treat one of my disciples well, there will be rewards that come to them. And so I, I don't know why why would, why would that is. I mean, I was trying to think of what are some of the reasons. One of them maybe is because Jesus wants us to notice those things and remember that God has our back. Or maybe, again, it's something saying, this is not all about you. He's saying, you know, you need to, you need to cut away the, the part of your life that's expecting uh, peace and prosperity. But in, for whatever reason, Jesus blesses people who don't follow him. I heard a pastor once talk about a man who came to faith. He was a, he was an atheist, and then uh, he was very fortunate and became quite rich. Um, I need more people like that in my congregation, honestly. But he said he said the reason he became a Jesus follower, the reason he started exploring um, the claims of Jesus, is he he just realized that nobody could be that lucky. And somehow or other, that started his journey to faith. And he just decided that that it defied expectations that, that somebody could be as fortunate unless there were some divine um, force working in the world to bless him. So 
I don't know all the reasons Jesus might bless people who aren't his disciples. But Jesus says here, watch for it because it will happen. So what do we do with this? What do we do with Jesus' expectations? We know what they are now. What do we do? Well, the first one is obvious. We get baptized. If you haven't been baptized, do think about that. Ask me if you've got questions. What is baptism about? And why did I just step on a a landmine around baptism a few minutes ago? Um, Second, decide where Jesus ranks. You know, maybe you should actually draw a picture with some circles and kind of figure out where people in your life, where do they rank? Where do your different allegiances? Are you are you a cheesehead first and a Christian second? I don't know. Ask if your life is too easy. Ask if the the thing you're avoiding, the thing that you see an opportunity in front of you and say, yeah, but that would be hard. Ask if maybe that is exactly what Jesus wants you to do. And lastly, reframe your hardships. That it's not that I'm having to go to this town of Zarephath. It's not that I'm having to go through a, um, through a famine. But by being here in this town, I'm actually able to bless this widow. And in a chapter, I'll save her son. So reframe your hardships because it's not about you. We have expectations of Jesus. And a lot of them are because Jesus has given us promises. But we should pay attention to the expectations Jesus has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, it is so much easier to think about our expectations of you and Jesus than his expectations for us. Lord, help us to keep in mind what it is that um, he has warned us, what it is um, that discipleship will cost, and help us to... um, to see blessing around us, not as your abandonment, but your love for others working through us and around us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.